0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to another episode of Neuropathways. I'm your host, Alex Raygrant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, Today we're talking about the connection between sleep and brain health and the benefits of incorporating sleep management into routine neurological care. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Nancy Foldvery join us for today's conversation. Dr. Foldvery is a neurologist and director of the Sleep Center in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Nancy, welcome to Neuropathways.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with the easy questions. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, where you did your training, and when you came to the clinic.
1: Well, I'm uh, originally from Chicago, and I did uh, my medical school training and my neurology residency there. Uh, I trained at Loyola in Chicago for neurology, and I'm an osteopath. Uh, And then I went to Duke for a two-year neurophysiology fellowship, and that really uh, brought together for me uh, EEG, epilepsy, and sleep medicine, which is uh, a relatively unique combination in fellowship training particularly these days, now that sleep medicine has its own ACGME fellowship tract. Uh, And I came to Cleveland Clinic a long time ago, (laughs) 1995, uh, and after a few years uh, began to develop and grow the sleep medicine program, which has really been an outstanding opportunity uh, and a lot of fun.
0: The correlation between sleep and overall health has really come to light in recent years. Can you tell us a bit more about how far we've come making this important connection?
1: Yes. So Really, sleep medicine is a relatively uh, young uh, specialty compared to other practices, for example, neurology. Uh, and it's really been in the last decade or so that uh, scientists and clinicians have really augmented uh, research related to how sleep impacts neurological health and vice versa. Uh, and really, in the in the last couple of years, where there's been some fascinating, Uh, scientific discoveries and a lot of interest in uh, funding uh, this kind of research uh, and better understanding how sleep therapies might favorably impact on uh, the outcome of people with neurological disorders.
0: Can you tell us a bit about the research your team is doing in conjunction with other specialists at the Neurological Institute related to this area?
1: Yeah, so there's, there are many interesting relationships. I'm, since I also practice epilepsy, Uh, medicine, I'm particularly interested in the many ways in which sleep and epilepsy interact. The one that we've done the most work on probably is in understanding the relationship between obstructive sleep apnea, a very common sleep disorder affecting 25 to 30% of the population, with 80 to 90% of people who have it not knowing they have it, uh, and epilepsy outcomes. Uh, So for example, several years ago, we published the largest study exploring the prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea in epilepsy populations, not referred for any particular reason related to sleep, and we found that 40% of that population, men and women, had sleep apnea, and the disease was moderate to severe in 16% of those cases. Uh, We subsequently published a study and have another study coming out very soon exploring the effect of treating sleep apnea with CPAP, which is the most common therapy On seizure frequency and in our newest data we found that 63% of the cohort that was treated with CPAP uh, had at least a 50% reduction in seizures which is one of the standard metrics for clinical trials uh, of anti-epileptic drugs versus 14% of the population who chose not to be treated with CPAP. Uh, So significant gains in some people uh, with sleep apnea and epilepsy coexisting. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Others are exploring the effect of uh, sleep apnea therapies on quality of life. Uh, We have another study that just got going, which is a randomized controlled trial uh, investigating the effect of using cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia through a web-based therapy that we developed at the Cleveland Clinic on seizure outcomes. Uh, So many examples of how we might be able to improve epilepsy outcomes, particularly given that 30% of people continue to have seizures despite the best of therapies, all the new anti-epileptic drugs that we've seen in the last decade and surgical technologies that are advancing. So there's a lot of opportunity there. That's one example. Um, Colleagues, Dr. Mara, Rina Mara, who's the director of sleep research, has partnered up with Dr. Palai in the Center for Brain Health, and they're doing work looking at how early sleep disordered um, physiology, including um, looking at actigraphy, which is a motion sensor as a surrogate for sleep quality and sleep duration, impacts on cognition in populations that might be at risk for Alzheimer's disease and in people who have early Alzheimer's disease. Uh, And this is probably one of the most exciting parts of neurology and sleep medicine uh, because There are many ways through which potentially sleep could be deranged, so to speak, in people with Alzheimer's disease and better understanding that and knowing whether there are some early biomarkers of dementia, uh, which might be manifested through sleep and wake disorders, uh, would be a great opportunity to be able to impact early on the neurodegeneration of that population of people.
0: I can think of other specialty areas within neurology where sleep issues or important multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, a number of other areas within the specialty. Right. I guess we've sort of answered this. I mean, why do you think it's important for neurologists to think about this, and how might they screen for this within their practice?
1: Well, you're right. There are many examples, and I've, I've neglected to mention the most classic one, which is REM behavior disorder, as a as a firmly established early marker of the synucleopathies, Parkinson's disease, and diffuse uh, dementia with Lewy bodies, uh, most notably. Um, So recognizing REM behavior disorder requires taking a sleep history. But even maybe simpler from that is just recognizing the patient population who has symptoms of sleep apnea, a very common disorder, an insomnia disorder, by having difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep, are the population of people who just don't have long enough sleep duration to really promote good sleep health. And those are folks who traditionally sleep less than seven hours, clearly less than six hours. Uh, less than six hours of sleep has been associated not only with some neurological symptoms and maybe mental health symptoms uh, like depression and anxiety, uh, but also a host of other medical problems like cardiovascular disease and metabolic disorders. So simply sleeping enough Uh, is part of the recipe in maintaining wellness.
0: So I know many neurologists are under the gun in terms of time. You know, they're rushing through a busy clinic. I think you have sort of a very simple instrument that you guys sometimes use called the stop-bang instrument. Do you want to talk us through that a little bit?
1: Sure. The stop-bang, and even simpler, just the stop, is a predictive tool to recognize people with high-risk who are at high risk for obstructive sleep apnea. The S in STOP stands for snoring, the T is tiredness, fatigue, or sleepiness, the O is observed apnea, and the P is high blood pressure. Uh, So people with just two out of those four questions being positive are considered high risk of having sleep apnea uh, and probably should talk to their doctor, undergo a sleep test, which for many people now can be done in the home, which is much more convenient and much less costly than the in-laboratory test. If you add the bang part, which is having a BMI over 35, age over 50 years, a neck circumference over 17 inches and male gender, uh, at least three out of eight of those items puts people at high risk of apnea and the predictive analytics around it becomes even uh, sharper. Okay. So this is the common way that we, in one minute or so, can screen for sleep apnea almost in any kind of encounter, whether we're neurologists or cardiologists or primary care doctors.
0: I know our audience likes things that are one minute or less. Yes. That's that's a good message. (laughs) Um, I know many physicians are not great sleepers, you know, when we tend not to take care of ourselves. What advice would you have for the most important thing to do to get a good restorative sleep so we can actually do a better job of caring for our of uh, people with neurological disease?
1: Yeah, it's a very important question. In the general population, uh, about 30% of people have some degree of insomnia. I mentioned the statistics on sleep apnea, uh, and probably at least 40% of adults are not getting enough sleep, maybe more than that. Uh, so probably the most important thing is to recognize that sleep is not a passive function. Back, you know, centuries ago, sleep was likened to being in a coma, like being Dracula, you know, during the daytime. Uh, But sleep is actually a very active function. When we sleep, we're restoring every cell in our body, every cell in our brain. We're clearing neurotoxins from our um, spinal fluid, most likely, uh, and enhancing uh, brain function in many ways. And so just getting enough sleep, seven to nine hours, is what's recommended for most adults is critically important. Uh, People who have trouble sleeping at night typically benefit from from having a standard wake-up time most people think, well, shouldn't it be a standard bedtime? Well, really, if you, if you have a standard wake-up time and you have trouble sleeping, generally over time, if you don't let yourself sleep in on the weekends, but set that wake-up time to the same time every day, things will sort of backfill a bit, and then you'll establish a more reliable go-to-sleep time. Uh, then, of course, there are things like alcohol. Alcohol is the most common substance that adults use to sedate themselves at night. And while it helps us hasten sleep onset, it's very destructive to sleep continuity. Uh, So it reduces REM sleep. It causes a lot of fragmentation uh, of sleep, uh, which is not good. So we certainly don't recommend people using uh, alcohol to sedate themselves, nor routine use of over-the-counter things like antihistamines. Rather, there are cognitive behavioral therapies, like learning how to clear the mind at night, perhaps even creating... we call it a worry journal, or just maybe a list of to-dos for the next day, but doing that early in the evening so you can clear your mind of it. And then giving yourself a little time to wind down without electronics, without looking at light uh, through our electronics, maybe an hour or so before bedtime. All of those things together are probably the best uh, strategies for just ensuring a good night's sleep.
0: Is there anything else that you think our audience should hear about you know, sleep and neurological diseases or the work that you guys are doing?
1: We're really excited. It's a great time for sleep neurologists. Uh, Lots of exciting work being done. And I think while the data are still emerging and the randomized control trials are lacking, there's clearly enough science to uh, justify spending maybe a minute or two of every encounter we see with a patient, ensuring that our patients recognize the importance of a good night's sleep.
0: Well, Nancy, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and insights. Of
1: course, thank you.
0: This concludes this episode of our Neuropathways podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast. Subscribe to the Neuropathways podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website, consultqd.clevelandclinic.org neuro, or follow us on Twitter at Clee All one word, that's at C L E Clinic M D on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.